everyone. I'm your host, Drew Bragg, and today I have Julie J with me. Julie, would you please introduce yourself for all the listeners? Hi, everyone. Thanks, Drew, for having me on the show. I am a software engineer at Code Academy, and I co-host Ruby for All with Andrew Mason, and that's all I do. I mean, that is a fair amount all <laughs> on its own. There was a time where I could only handle having a full-time job, and my podcast does not release as often as yours. So do not sell yourself short. Your podcast is awesome. I've been really enjoying it, and we're going to get into that for sure. For those of you who are new to the show, the way this is going to work is I'm going to ask Julie three questions. I'm going to ask her what she's working on, and that really can be work-related, side project-related, or in this case, podcast-related. I'm going to ask her what kind of blockers she has, and if she doesn't have a current blocker, what's her most recent blocker, and how does she get around it? And then we're going to wrap up the show by giving Julie an opportunity to show something cool, new, or interesting that she's recently found, discovered, or even built herself, and it doesn't have to be coding-related, but of course it can be. So, with all that out of the way, Julie, what are you working on? So I have a work thing and also a side project thing that both started about a couple of months ago. I'm working on something that has been such a struggle for me at work and what it is like I have Notion to take some notes. I have my Google Calendar so I know what meetings I have for today. I have another Notion document where I write down like what tasks I need to do and I always forget to put tasks in it and then I always forget to go back and look at what tasks I need to do. So then I rely on my head to remember what I need to do questions and stuff like that are also embedded in there somewhere. I pair a lot at work. And so I meet people every week or every two weeks. And I have a lot throughout the week. But every time I meet somebody, I always forget what I talked to them about last time. And I've tried using Notion, like having each person a dedicated page, but then it was really hard to navigate to. And I was like, I need something where all of that stuff is on one page and I just need to focus on what I need to do for that day. Another thing was stand-ups. We don't do synchronous stand-ups. We do daily asynchronous stand-ups. So there's this template that we use where it's like, how are you doing today? What did you do since yesterday? What are you going to work on today? And what are your blockers? And I noticed because I always forgot what I did the previous day, I would create a Notion template to do my standups for me. And then I repopulate the next day. And anyway, that's to say there's so many different pages that I'm going around and trying to figure out what do I want to focus on today? And so I decided to build something where I can have all of those things all on one page and... I call it a today app. And on the very top, it has today's date. And the next line, I pulled an affirmations API to grab an affirmation to make myself feel better. And then I basically have one section for my questions that I have stirring and a task thing that I can know what tasks I'm going to pull up. And my stand-up, like that template that I was just explaining. And then on the left side is all of my meetings for just today. And I added like a note section thing so I can pull what we talked about the last time we had 
a meeting. And so I can refer to that and be like, oh, yeah, we talked about X, Y, Z. I can also like refer back to all of the notes that I've ever taken. So if I remember, like, I remember I talked to you about something, I can go to that page and search for it. That is awesome. The idea of having all of that on one screen. And I really like the idea of having notes from the last time you spoke to someone or had a meeting with them. Because I am also very forgetful of what did we talk about last time? Some days I'll churn how many people I pair with. So it's like I pair with someone and then I jump and I almost do the same pairing session with the next thing. Like if I just had to architect something for the team and I'm like going through with individuals how to use it or how to implement it or whatever, like I might pair with five or six people in a row on the same thing. And then we revisit it a week later and I'm like, I don't remember. Was it you that I spoke to about X or did we go through this? So I like that idea. Is that just a custom app that you built or is that like a notion page that you made? Yeah, this is a Rails slash ERB views app that I created using Postgres. Awesome. So does it pull in all of your notes from Notion or are you using this as like your note taking app now too? I actually do not have a note taking section. I don't take very good notes anyways. So I just said to heck with it. Maybe there could be a note section thing, but no, it doesn't pull from anywhere right now. Part of the reason why I'm starting this is I had such a hard time remembering what I did the past six months for performance reviews. And having something all in a centralized location like this was going to be easier for me to try to write things down. One thing I forgot to mention is I do also have a hype section. These are all the things that I did. Give me a description of it. What did I learn? Yeah. Yeah, that is also a cool thing. And it's funny, everything that you're saying is like, at least with some parts of it, I'm like, yeah, I'm the same way. Or that sounds awesome. I need something like that. And then like, I'm thinking back to even when I had Joe Mazzolotti on the show and we were talking about getting stuff done and like breaking things down to like, I have three things to do because of this. And we got into journaling a little bit and it's like almost the same categories of things. Like I have to have on the same page, like what is my schedule for today? Like what are my tasks? Any notes that I might have, things that are going on, stuff like that. And it's so interesting that we don't, that there doesn't exist a almost a uniform, yeah, this is sort of how to do that really well app. And we're all kind of like with our own versions. Joe's just got a book. One of the guys I work with has a special journal. I think he calls it the five minute journal. I actually have a physical journal. You're making an app for it. I don't know who it was that I was talking to, but they're like, yeah, I want to build an app that'll like populate my stuff this way so that I can see it all on one page. I'm like, we all have the same problem and we're all solving it in different ways. There, Maybe there's something here that we need to create a better version of, but that's cool. How long have you been working on that project? You said about a month? Yeah, I think I started it either January or February, somewhere around there. So it's been a couple of months. I don't usually work on projects like this. This is probably my third project since learning coding. But once I get an idea of something I really want to build, like I go all out on it. So yeah, it's been fun. I learned a lot and struggled a lot. And around the same time, ChatGPT came out and has really helped me <laughs> do some things more quickly. 
Nice. How are you using GPT to get yourself unstuck? Is it just asking it questions instead of going to Stack Overflow? Or are you saying like, here's what I want to write. Can you give me boilerplate? How does that interaction work for you? Yeah, I think that's a great question because when I started this project, I could go and find all of the syntax I needed. I mean, I don't often do a Rails new, right? I was like, okay, what's the syntax I need? And I just use ChatGPT because I know how to get there and I know what it is, but just give it to me quickly because I don't want to spend a bunch of time trying to learn all this stuff again or trying to figure it out when it's there somewhere. Starting wise, I used it for that. I usually use ChatGPT mainly to learn challenging concepts on. So for work, I had to learn this new concept and there's Redux and Sagas. And I was like, what are those? I'm not a front end engineer. So I was like, hey, can you explain to me like I'm five? What are Sagas and Redux and actions and all that stuff? Nice. And it does a pretty good job with the explain it like I'm five concepts. I haven't actually used it that way. So I'm curious now that you say that. Yeah, there's three different things that I'll say to it. The first one will be like, explain it to me like I'm five and it'll give like a metaphor, oftentimes referring it to like a toy box or some sort of children thing. And then the second time I'll ask it, I'll just like explain it to me simply. And then the third time I'll just ask it to explain it regularly. And it helps to kind of go through that process. Give it to me in the most simplest form and then go the other way and try to make sure it's not leaving anything out. Because I do feel like sometimes when it does the explain it like I'm five, it can't be exact with its metaphor. So I don't want to miss out or lose anything with that. That's cool. I like that strategy of explain it like I'm five, like idiot proof it for me. (laughs) And then, okay, now just add some layers, but not too many. Explain it more simply, so less layers, but still more than the five. And then just explain it to me and see. I wonder if you should add a fourth prompt where it's now summarize the last three things you gave me. (laughs) Right. And I wonder if that would put all of it together. But that is... I should, huh? Yeah, I wonder how that would work. Hey there, I'm Andrew Mason, and I've got an amazing gem to tell you about, Avo. It helps you build content management systems and internal tools with Ruby on Rails incredibly fast. You don't need to deal with any CSS or JavaScript files as Avid takes care of all the UI work for you, resulting in a modern, mobile-first CRUD interface ready to deploy. Plus, it provides access to features almost every application needs, like actions, filters, search, sorting, active storage integration, dashboards, and much more. So if you're looking for an ultra-powerful and maintainable platform to build your next product or service, look no further. Avo harnesses the power of Rails, Hotwire, Tailwind, CSS, view components to provide you with a fast and easy to use stack the Rails way. Don't wait any longer. Visit avohq.io and give Avo a try today. You won't regret it. I tinkered with it when it first came out and I've run some things through it just for fun, but I'm definitely not using it the way that some folks are or even how you are. And it's interesting how clever some people have gotten with it on how to use it to either speed up work or get themselves unstuck. And it's a interesting and slightly scary tool, but we'll see how it goes. I know what you mean. It's capable of so much and I'm just touching the little section of it. One thing I do really like using it for is to quiz me or test me because I feel like it's kind of like a guided testing thing, right? First, I'll be like, okay, 
ask me, but do multiple choice. Now ask me, but have me fill in the blank. Then it gets harder and harder because it can just be like, what's Redux? I can't spit that out. I have to like kind of have it guided for me. Interesting. That's a nice use for it. You can ask it to quiz you on a topic and then even ask it to give you the quiz in a certain format. That is not something that I thought to do with it, but I feel like I could use that for some things because there's every once in a while I'm like, I need to come up with like a quiz system to like learn this better because that is a good way for my brain to learn is to have to regurgitate it back. I like that. I might have to steal some of these ideas. I think you're onto something. Are you writing a book? Andrew knows <laughs> way more than I do. Maybe he'll share sometime. In shocking fashion, Andrew has gone down the AI rabbit hole or just rabbit hole. You could leave the AI part off and it would not be shocking to anyone that Andrew went down a <laughs> rabbit hole. And that's why we love him. So what do you work with at work right now? I do still work in Rails, but this performance review time, I told my manager I wanted to focus a little bit more on front end because I didn't want to feel blocked so my team, there's a lot of front end work and there's not quite as much back end work. And I don't want to solely be a front end developer, but I do feel like there's value in learning the full stack and learning the front end will also help me be a better back end engineer. So I'm doing some React, TypeScript and some React Native. Oh boy, it's a lot of React. It is a lot of React. Not for me. I've done React <laughs> and I'm just like, nah, I don't miss it. I don't miss it at all. I agree with you that it's definitely a good thing to learn the full stack, even if you're not necessarily ever going to be or have a role available to you for a full stack. If you're, I'm a back-end developer, knowing what goes on the front end is good and vice versa for front-end engineers. And is that predominantly how Code Academy is set up, where it's you have front-end engineers and back-end engineers and there's very little overlap, or is it you have all three for the most part? I think it's hard to say because there's just so much front-end things that we're working on, and there might be a couple of full stack, but because there's so much front-end, they usually handle all of the front-end and then whatever is back-end I usually take. I think in general, it's there's a mix of front-end, full stack, and back-end. I wanted to ask you, because you said that you don't miss React. Are you using something else for front end? So right now at work, we pretty much just do your standard ERB templates. And we have a little bit of stimulus for our JavaScript sprinkles. We have view components to kind of do a little bit better organization than we would get with partials and to encapsulate those front end bits in something a little more object oriented. And I just finished upgrading us to 6.1. So my new project, because I'm taking a break from the upgrades for a little bit, my current new project is getting us onto using Turbo and Hotwire will be kind of how we do our front end. So any kind of interactivity and reactivity will predominantly be handled with Turbo. And then we'll have the JavaScript sprinkles with stimulus, but everything else is pretty much static HTML. We don't really have an app that requires a ton of user interactivity. There's one or two places where you could make a case for needing something as heavy as React, but for the most part, our app is not needing something to that level. So the team doesn't really want to go down that route. Okay. That's really cool. So what did you just 
upgrade from? You said you just went to 6.1. What were you before? So when I first got there, and this was about two years ago, we were on 4.1. So we were pretty outdated. Yeah. When I first got there, I had my normal onboarding stuff to do and then some regular projects. And I was sort of like, hey, is anyone going to get us onto at least the five series? Because there's some cool stuff in Rails that I really want to use. And they were like, yeah, we don't really have anyone that can do the upgrade. I was like, well, I've done some. Like, I've never gone from four to five, but I've done 5.0 to 5.1 and 5.1 to 5.2 and 5.2 to 6. I would be happy to do it in my, I call it spare time, but not as my main project. I would just work on it when I'm waiting for PR reviews or whatever. So that's how I got us from 4.1 to 4.2 and then 4.2 to 5.0. And then after that, they were kind of like, hey, do you want to like get us more modern as sort of like your main role? And so that's what I did from 5.0 to 5.1 to 5.2 to 6.0 and now to 6.1 was pretty much like aside from a little tangent when I led the project to bring in view components, I have been basically working on upgrading our Ruby and our Rails versions. So up until a few days ago, because it's April 10th and up until March 31st, 2.7 was supported. We were on supported Ruby and Rails because we're on currently 6.1 and Ruby 2.7. So that was exciting because we hadn't been there for a while. But I'm taking a short break from doing the upgrade stuff so that I can help us kind of start using Turbo. We did a lot of upgrade, just get onto the version and not really lean on everything that Rails does for us. So there's some monkey patches I want to get rid of and some code cleanup we can do. Someone else on my team has just started migrating us off of paperclip onto active storage. So there's a lot of projects like that I want to get to. And for us and our app and how it's been built in the past, Zitework is kind of a... It's not that Zitework is the blocker, it's the way that we do auto-loading makes getting onto Zitework a bit of a challenge. And I am currently looking at it like it's not worth my time with all these other things that would improve our developer experience, and that's what I'm focused on. So yeah, that was a very long-winded way of saying, yeah, we were on 4.1, <laughs> now we're on 6.1, we'll someday be on 7, I'm sure. There you go. That's my... No, that's awesome. I know I asked you what version you were on before, but I really enjoyed hearing that story. I didn't realize you were so involved with upgrading your Rails. I actually would love to be a part of upgrading our Rails version. We're on 6.0 something, and we are on 2.7 something for Ruby. And I would love to be a part of doing those upgrades. I feel like I could learn a lot doing them. Yeah, this was the biggest app I've upgraded. All the upgrades I've done in the past have either been, hey, I had a mini project running on the side or I was brought into a small to medium-sized app from a client for my last role and I was part of the upgrade or one of the, at my last role, we did maintain a few apps upgrading those, but they've all been relatively small. This was definitely the largest one and... It luckily did get progressively easier. I feel like both Rails upgrades got a little bit easier. And also I learned through trial and error and reading things like the Fast Ruby blog and whatnot on dual booting and things like that. I learned a lot about making the upgrades a lot easier to do. 
it's a fun type of adventure, but it does get a bit exhausting. My least favorite thing is when I go to my QA guy and I'm like, hey, I need you to test these like three things that I just released. And he's like, cool, what's the acceptance criteria? I'm like, nothing breaks. <laughs> like, everything still functions the same. It kind of got annoying. I'm, that's why I'm sort of excited to get back to more feature style development where I'm like, yeah, I built that thing. I just haven't done that in a few years. So it'll be nice mm. to feel that level of accomplishment because I'm the same way where I have trouble keeping track of the things that I've done. So when it comes to like performance review time, I'm like, I don't know what I did. And my boss is actually really good at keeping track of it. So she's like, here's everything <laughs> that you great. did. And here's why you're a valued member of the team. And I'm over here like, I haven't shipped anything. She's like, you've merged like 300 PRs. What are you talking about? <laughs> wow. Yeah, just because the users can't see it, it's indirectly helping your developers improving developer experience. That's what I was yeah. trying to I love doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> it makes me feel really good when I can tell the team, hey, I just released X and here's what you get to do now or here's why it's easier than just the out of the box stuff. But when I reflect on it, it doesn't feel that impactful. So that's why when you were like, I need a place to keep track of everything that I've done for performance reviews, I felt that in my soul. Cause like, I need a way to keep track of when I do stuff so that I don't feel like I'm being unproductive. And then I burn myself out trying to be overly productive when I was actually already being productive. The number one reason startups fail is that they run out of money. There are so many ways for startups to lose money. Downtime should not be one. Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That's every single minute. A monthly subscription with HoneyBadger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy-to-use platform so you can quickly understand what's going on and how to fix it, which helps you stay in business. Get started today in as little as five minutes at HoneyBadger.io with plans starting at free. Yeah, you heard me, free. A big thank you to Honey Badger for sponsoring this episode of Ruby for All. I ran into this issue with, I feel like I've been working all day, but because it doesn't feel like productive work, I stay on more to try to make work that's more productive. And then it's, wait, I've been working a lot today and I have nothing to show for it. <laughs> and yet you do. That was something, and I'll link it in the show notes. If you jump to the end of my conversation with Joe Mazzolotti, few episodes ago, we kind of talked about that ex same exact thing that you don't feel productive, even though you've been on the computer all day. And that's where he kind of came up with the, I'm going to have three things on my to-do list. And those are the things I'm going to do. And as long as I get those things done, it was a successful day. And I am actually doing the same thing with my journal where I have three things on my to-do list. I have a lot more things on my to-do list, but I'm like, I need to get these three things done to call it a successful day. And even with that, like sometimes I cheat. I'm like, walk the dog. I'm definitely walking the dog. There's no way he's going to let me not walk him. But just because it almost tricks me into like, hey, I've already started the day off with one thing done. I'm doing awesome. Let's rock and roll. Yeah, the three to do's. There's something there. I don't know what it is, but there is definitely something there. That's actually where I got the idea to limit my tasks on the Today app to three things. But after that, I decided to limit it even further to just one. <laughs> okay. So I only show my the one thing that I need to do today to make myself feel better. I think that there's actually a lot of value in limiting your to-do list because I do feel really overwhelmed when I see, oh, cool, here's my to-do list or my backlog of issues and it's a hundred things. 
versus, hey, I've got three things on my to-do list that I need to get done. Or like, this is what needs to happen today. Everything else is just a bonus. But if I get this done, I have accomplished something today. I think there's a lot of value in it. I think it might be a mental health benefit. I don't know. I don't have any (laughs) data to back this up. I'm not a scientist, but I'm going to have to find a recording of like a one of those pharmaceutical commercials where it's like, this is not intended to treat any particular disease. This (laughs) is not coming from a certified physician. This advice is not meant to whatever. (laughs) Like, I think it's valuable, but please consult your therapist. I don't know. (laughs) What kind of blockers do you generally run into? Or if you're not running into any currently, what have you run into? And what's the general process? And this can be for your work stuff, if you can talk about it, or even for the thing that you're using personal stuff. I know we talked a little bit about, hey, ChatGPT is great for getting you unstuck, but are there other avenues? I couldn't get my JavaScript working in my Today app. So what I ended up doing is just not use JavaScript and just dealt with some of the issues that I had. But I don't know why my JavaScript wasn't working. So yes, I use ChatGPT to like start having a conversation because I just don't know where to go yet. And sometimes the internet is just so full of things. I just want to pinpoint it to one thing first. ChatGPT is like, it doesn't have updated information, right? Like it's fed data up to 2021. And with Rails 7, I was like, what's the JavaScript situation? And I was like reading all of these blog posts and things, and I didn't know where to go for how do I just hook up plain JavaScript? Like I did a bootcamp, when was it? 2021. And I know how we hooked up JavaScript then, but like things have changed a little bit. And so, yeah, I was just like, I don't know how to hook it up. So I like gave up, spent like an hour or two trying to figure it out and didn't know where to go. And I was just like, maybe I should pair with someone, but it was getting late. So yesterday... What I really wanted to do is my hype doc is in a table format. The columns are title, description, learnings, number of points, and front and back end or what kind of a tag I can have for it. Then I can add things to it. But while I'm working and I want to add something to my hype doc, I don't want to fill out the whole row. I just want to write something really quickly and then I can remember to go back and then fill out the rest. But because of the way that I built this table, I just had the form to add all of those things at once. It would be great if I could just have a notion table onto my hype doc thing so that I could just click on it, add to it, and then it'll like update it real time. So I was like, this is frustrating. I really want to change this. And so I went directly to ChatGPT and I was like, okay, how do I do this? And it gave me all of this code. I gave it my ERB code and my controllers code. And I was like, I want to do this. I want to be able to click into a cell and be able to update it. It spit back some code and it told me where to put my JavaScript files. And I was like, no, my JavaScript file is not in assets. Then... It was like, well, it depends on your Rails version. So I was like, okay, I have Rails 7. And I look in the gem file and I was like, there's a couple of JavaScripty things. So I put it into ChatGBT and then it came back with, okay, you need to put it in this folder and import it this way. And then I actually got it to work. Like I can go into my table and click on the thing and it updates real time. I made sure by refreshing the page that it still kept my updated data. 
Maybe I could have solved it on my own, but it would take me a very long time. It's kind of complicated to me to do something like that. And it just did it. That's an interesting way to use it to get unstuck. But more so, I think that is like a glaringly like, yep, that's one of the problems with Rails right now is we almost have three different ways of managing your assets and your JavaScripts because the Rails 7 default is import maps now. But you can still toggle on Webpacker. And if you don't need all of that, you can even with import maps, like you can still use the asset pipeline to like sort of serve up static assets. I don't even know how the defaults are working on a Rails new because I haven't done in a while. But I do know that there are basically three different ways of managing your assets, especially JavaScript, and it can get really confusing. Using ChatGTB to get around that is (laughs) brilliant, but I'm like, how would any, I don't know, junior or early career dev or someone just trying to get on up to speed with Rails, how would they go about managing that? My brain starts hurting when I start to think about it. I'm like, I know if I go in and play with it, I'll eventually figure it out. But like that should not be the thing that is taking up all of your time or causing a blocker with Rails is I don't even know how to get my JavaScript working because I don't know where it's coming from or how it's getting served or anything like that. And I think, I hope it will eventually settle itself down and we'll have like, yes, this is the preferred way and here's the fallback, but this is the preferred way. Because right now it's, yeah, this is the default. We can't even call it the preferred way because there's just not enough what I would consider documentation or examples on how to use it. So it's like there's almost three ways with no preferred, just a default. Hmm. I do recall now it saying, oh, you might have Webpacker because it's six plus. And then I was like, no, I think I have something like import maps. And then there was something about an asset. You said asset pipeline. Those are all kind of foreign to me. Can you have all three of them in one app? Yes, to the best of my knowledge. I don't think that there's any reason why you couldn't. Like in our app at work, we're using both Webpacker and Mm. the Asset Pipeline, which I don't know how when import maps get thrown in. I don't know if maybe that eliminates the ability to use Webpacker, but I'm not 100% sure how all of that works. There's like an asset bundling gem now where it will do stuff to your JavaScript and put it in the asset pipeline. So the asset pipeline's still there to serve the apps, but it's not doing the transformations anymore. And you can use Webpack, but they don't recommend Webpacker. So you can use like ESBuild or Webpack or Vite or Vite, Vite, Vite. I don't know, Jason Charns help. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's a little intimidating right now how all of the assets, especially JavaScript, are handled in Rails. I think Hotwire is great as a default because I do think it makes a lot of things easier, but I think that everyone's going to pull in at least one or two third-party things for JavaScript and the fact that it's not really that simple or that low complexity anymore is a problem. It's a bit of a barrier for folks to get started, at least to me. I could be wrong. I don't do a ton of front ends, so maybe I'm more confused than I would be if I spent more time but that's fair but yeah to your point it is confusing i didn't know where to go and i don't know if there is a place to go i could have gone to the community but i'm also kind of laying low on twitter 
that's the only place I talk to the community and it's a little weird. So, well, this will come out after, but are you going to RailsConf? I am not going to RailsConf and I have a lot of FOMO. (gasps) The week before that, I will be in New York for a work thing and I didn't want to be away from family for too long. So it would have been like two weeks away from home if I went to RailsConf. But yeah, I'm kind of bummed because I had such a great time last year. And actually, that's how we met. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's how we met. It's how you met Andrew and got the podcast started. And yeah, great experience. And well, I know that RubyConf will at least be, I don't want to say in your backyard because California (laughs) is a massive state, but it's going to be in California. So hopefully that'll be a little easier for you. I will be going there. Will you be going to RubyConf? I will be. Yeah. So, so far on my docket for this year is RailsConf Atlanta, Blue Ridge Ruby in Asheville, North Carolina, and RubyConf in San Diego. There might be another one tossed in there, but TBD on all that. I'm hoping to go to RubyCoggy next year, so that's going to be an expensive one anyway, so might forego the fourth conference and just put the money towards making that dream happen. Well, at least I know I will see you at one conference this year. That question stemmed from, I wonder how many talks are going to be about managing assets in Rails, because that's the (laughs) the sort of current confusing bit. So I'm hoping maybe they're going to have a couple of good talks on distilling all of the fractured ways of doing it into a easy to use cheat sheet style talk of, yeah, here's how to do this, the overlaps and when you would choose one or the other and things like that. That would be awesome. I mean, I love Rails for its opinionated framework where there's like generally one way to do something. And I didn't feel that way for JavaScript for some reason. Agreed. Yeah. Like I said, it's the default, but it doesn't present itself like the preferred way of doing things. It's, yeah, this is what you're going to get out of the box. But for most apps, it's actually not what you want to use. So (laughs) that's weird. Or just the way I feel about it. Full disclosure, not having really done Rails new in six months. But yeah. So the wrap-up question, my favorite question, something cool, new, or interesting that you've recently discovered, stumbled upon, built, doesn't matter what it is, doesn't have to be coding related, but it can be. What do you have? I'll just share that I spent two months learning about OAuth and OpenID Connect, and I've been trying to get Apple SSO working, and I feel like I've learned so much. Here's something I can share, something really cool. Have you heard of, is it called Ngrok? Yep. Okay, so I've never heard of that before, but... The reason why I came across that is because I was trying to do Apple SSO locally and Apple SSO won't let me do it locally because their callback URL after you get sent from Apple to go back to your application cannot be localhost and it can't be an IP address. So I was like, well, then how am I supposed to test this? And I was just pushing up to one of our preview environments and then trying to test there. But, you know, it takes so much time to deploy every time I make a change. And if I'm trying to debug something, oh yeah, for a while when I was debugging something, I would just put 
rails.logger everywhere and try to see <laughs> where is it breaking. And I would push that up, wait for it. And usually for something like that, it takes much longer than the time it deploys. Cause like you're now working on something completely different. Cause you can't just sit there and wait for the thing to deploy. So now I'm working on something else and it's going to be a while before I go back to that other thing. Anyway, I figured out how I can stop doing that and just do it locally by installing ngrok and being able to, I guess I don't know the terms for this, but I basically had my local host pointing to like an ngrok URL and it's an HTTPS URL. And so when I put that in as my redirect URL locally, I was able to get Apple to send me back to my app and it worked really well. I thought that was a really cool thing to use ngrok for. I don't know what it's mainly used for, but. I think it's mainly used for that. The ability to run your local development, or at the very least, that is what I have always historically used it for is like, I have to check something over HTTPS. It can't be my local host because I'm using a callback or whatever. So I tunnel through ngrok and everything works great. I feel like there's another way of doing it like a local host.me or I will have to look it up and include it in the show notes, but there's another way of doing it that's very similar, that's slightly less Ngrok can be a little low level, and there's another way of doing it that doesn't, I guess, require a separate service, but I will include that in the show notes. But that is a good one. I think Ngrok is a great tool to have in your toolbox and to have available to you when you need to do that kind of stuff. Good answer. So before we wrap up the show, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about, touch on, make sure the listeners know? Well... There's something you said earlier and I didn't know what it was and I was going to ask you, but we were already like on this like long tangent, but what's paperclip? Oh, paperclip is a now deprecated service from gem from ThoughtBot that used to handle before we got active storage in rails, we used to handle file uploads. You might've also used carrier wave or shrine or two other gems that accomplished the same basic concept as paperclip but yeah i don't think paperclip's maintained anymore i think even their readme on the repo says you should transition to active storage and here's like a guide to using it i think shrine and carrier wave are still in active development because they do some things that active storage doesn't do or they do them better but thoughtbot basically was like yeah we needed paperclip before we had the rails framework version but now that we have the rails framework version go with that. So yeah, that's what the paperclip gem is. Thanks. I kept having this vision of the Microsoft paperclip. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not going to go off on this tangent, but I've seen some funny (laughs) memes relating Clippy to chat GPT. And it was like how much people hated Clippy. And now it's like, I use chat GPT for everything. And Clippy's just like in the background, like with this look of disgust on his face. Really? What about me? But that is a rabbit hole I could go down that I will not. So awesome. So Julie, where can folks find you on the internet and listen to your wonderful podcast? Well, thank you so much for saying that. I guess you could find me anywhere as Code with Julie. I am sometimes on Twitter. I haven't left it, but I'm kind of around. And the podcast is also on Twitter, right? Yeah, I believe it's at Ruby for All. 
listeners, if you have not listened to an episode yet, get on it because it's really good and I enjoy it. It is part of my weekly listen. I make sure I get every episode in every week. There's only three podcasts that I make sure every week that I listen to. It's the Ruby for All, the Ruby on Rails podcast, and Remote Ruby. Oh my goodness. It's that good. So get on it, listeners. We'll have links to it. It's Twitter, to the website, to everything in the show notes. Julie, thank you for coming on. It was an adventure getting you on here, but I'm <laughs> glad that we finally did and got to catch up. And I'm bummed I won't see you at RailsConf, but I'm excited that I will see you at RubyConf. Thank you so much for having me on. This was a blast. 